Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week. As long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Jared Dubin of 538 and many other places, and he's a great person to have on to talk about the early stages, wow, more than early stages of the offseason. Big takeaways, a bunch of different deep dives on teams. Bulls and Knicks are the ones that are coming to mind, and lots of great stuff here. Love talking to Jared. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. We're, let's say, roughly a week into the offseason. The draft was eight days ago because things are moving so insanely quickly this this year, and we're now in a new league year, as you and I, as CBA nerds, will appreciate that. And so I, I think that you and I have talked about a couple of things, but I think that the the way to start this is just to open it to you. I mean, we're roughly one week in. What What is the most striking thing to you about what has happened so far in the offseason? Hmm. Well, I did, a, you know, sort of a free agency roundup of, like, which teams are going with new paths and which teams are sort of going in familiar paths. And I think that that dichotomy was somewhat interesting. But I think actually the most interesting thing might be, are stars not going to get to free agency anymore? And is the way to acquire stars now going to be via trade? Um, I, I think it's an interesting question. I think the reason it's on my mind is because I think the Knicks clearly think that. Um, and I think I'm not sure that they're right. They might be right. Guys are signing extensions left and right, but you know, you have like Bradley Beal hasn't signed one. He's going to be a free agent next summer at the moment. Um, I'm trying to remember who else off the top of my head. Zach Levine, but he like wants his max extension. Um, yeah. So I'm interested in, in what your thoughts are on that concept. Like is, is star acquisition in free agency done and do you have to just trade for them? Yeah. So my, my main thought was actually somewhat similar to that. We'll start with yours and then I'll, I'll say it right now and so you can think about it, but it's basically the weakening of the 2022 free agency class. Like, so that's related. Kevin Durant signed his extension and, you know, reporting on his extension roughly an hour before we started recording. And, but with yours, I, I think that they, they tie together because it's about, about stars coming off the market. And I think that it is a mix of the two. So there is, you know, now that the extension system is no longer like totally broken for, especially for high end players, because the rule is that basically you can get a 20% raise. And even for somebody like Kyrie Irving, a 20% raise is enough to get him to his 35% max, even though he wasn't making that before. So if you're getting reasonably paid now, extending is totally possible. 
So then I think what it leads to mostly is the idea that if you are where you want to be, or at least a place that you're open to being, that extensions are now a significantly more viable and more used route than they were five years ago. I mean, Kevin Durant in 2016 is is probably the most stark case here, where I've been of the belief for a long time that if he were, if there were a viable extension for Kevin Durant, there's a pretty decent chance he never hits for agency in the first place. And if he never hits for agency in the first place, then it's a lot harder for him to end up in a Warriors uniform. So I, I think that there is a lot there. However, what we haven't really had in the last little while, and I would say that the example here to to support my argument, the best one is Anthony Davis, which is when a player isn't where they want to be or isn't in a place that they are happy, then I think they will use pending free agency to get to a place. And then incidentally, like with Anthony Davis, they might extend there. So Davis is kind of, he kind of answers both of our questions. I guess I guess you could say that he he argue, he fortifies your case because he never actually hit free agency. But those that's kind of how I I would define it slightly differently which is like you can use free agency if you're not where you want to be, but outside of that, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of extensions. Yeah, and I think, you know, LeBron obviously had, you know, signed as a free agent the summer before. I think he's sort of a special case. He was going year to year and clearly not taking an extension and very clear that he was going to be out the door at the end of that season and very clear that the Cavs were not going to trade him anyway. Um, that's a little bit different. You know, you could say Kawhi, obviously, sure. hit free agency. I think also a somewhat different situation. He got traded to a destination that he didn't really want to go to but decided, I'll, you know, I'll just play here for a year. Yeah, and definitely and, didn't choose. Right. Um, but, you know, other than that um, – I'm sh- I'm trying to think of what the last you know true star change of teams in free agency was. Um, I think I'm drawing a blank. You know, like Paul George went to OKC via trade, went to the Clippers via trade. You know, Russ moving all around the league now has been via trade three times. Well, Ky- Kyrie would be the other one. Kyrie and KD, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay, so that's actually um, <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> but those are but those are anomalous in their own way. I mean, that's kind of the you could call it the exception that proves the rule of like superstars teaming up in a major city. Like that's that's kind of the way that it could happen, and that ties in with with what I was thinking. So what really catalyzed this for me was the Julius Randle extension, and so I was thinking of it originally in that context from the player side, which was. I was working on a project independent of that for – I was working on 2022 kind of like a spending power team-by-team team estimate like I do all the time for The Athletic and, and other places. And what I realized was partially because of these extensions and partially because of the way that sal- – like due to COVID and other things, the way that salary has moved throughout the league, not only are there very few teams in the summer of 2022 that have real cap space, th- those teams – by and large, there are a couple of potential exceptions. Those teams are not the super sexy, um, you know, the, the the places, the the looming sleeping giants like um, Miami this year, like basically all the teams that were saving space for Giannis, and then Giannis took himself off the market. So that is a um, that is a very interesting. So for Randall, it, the reason I thought of it was basically like, okay, what is he giving up here? Where is, where is there a place that he could theoretically sign that is you know maybe it's a lot more money, maybe it's a better situation? And my my answer when I looked through it and kind of was working through it at the same time, independent was probably not unless he like really likes New Orleans and they don't retain some of their guys. Like there isn't a screaming great fit for him. And so that kind of speaks to the same story. 
I mean, I think for him, the, the, the thing he gave up more than, you know, an opportunity or a specific destination is money. Sure. Like, you know, he could have signed, like if he signed somewhere else for a full max, it would have been, I think like four for 152 or 162 or something along those lines. Um, and he signed for four, technically 106, but as much as 117. So, you know, and obviously if he had signed a five-year deal in New York, which was the only place he could have done that, it was up to, I think, like $200 million. So, you know, potentially a bunch of money, but that's if he had gotten to free agency and gotten the full max with the full raises, um, which obviously we don't know if that would have happened. But, you know, he, I think, more than doubled his career earnings with this new contract. And, you know, the Knicks locked him in at, if he approaches the level he played last season, um, you know, a discounted rate. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And it, I was thinking about something Sam Vecini said, our mutual friend, on this podcast last week, which was this idea – so he tied it in, which was interesting, with players not – becoming announcers where basically it's like they've made so much money why would they do why would they you know do this unless it's a really great gig but it's the same idea of if it's truly life-changing money and Randall you know he's made he's made money in his career this is not a circumstance of somebody who's been at like one one or two million forever but this is a significantly larger payday than has ever really come across his desk before and so it's a different type of risk aversion to turn down 117 million, let's call it, because of the potential of 200 million. 117 million and more power to players if they want to maximize it. I mean, kind of sounds to some extent like that's what Zach Levine, though his situation is meaningfully different because of his, his track record and everything else. But the idea that it's a max is a lot of money, but so is what Julius Randle took. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't turn down $106 million if somebody offered it to me. You know, like, I, there is no way I could turn it down. Like, Yeah, and, and okay, there is there is a distinct possibility. And, and with Randall, he was second-team All-NBA this year, and he had a really nice – and he could fit in with, with the improvement in shooting. He can fit in and was a part of a very successful defense. He can work in different schemes. He can work in different systems. And, like, he's been successful for long enough that you could, you could see it being there. But, again, yes, yeah, that risk aversion idea of that why would you – Turn that down, especially in Randall's case, where we're a lot less clear of what his realistic floor would be next year. And some of that could be seen a lot of guys get hurt. You know, we've seen a lot of high end players get injured recently. Now, a lot of those guys ended up still getting a ton of money, like Kawhi, presumably very soon, Kevin Durant on his previous contract with the Brooklyn Nets. But I don't think Julius Randall is that has had that kind of career so far, has had that level of success so far. And the variance involved, and especially like, I mean, I'm looking back at that, that document that I created a couple days ago. There are, I mean, there are other teams that could do it, you know, that could clear more, but they're really only like, I'm talking like six teams that have a realistic clear path to max space next year. And first of all, some of those six will knock themselves out within the next two weeks. Like that's going to happen through extensions to, or signing of new free agents. Like for example, the Pelicans, if they give Josh Hart a contract, like they can kind of knock themselves out of the max derby. They might, they might end up just functioning as an over the cap team next year. Like it could be that extreme. Um, the Spurs could do a couple of different things. And the Spurs, it's really only because the uncertainty with your beloved Lonnie Walker that, you know, like that they could theoretically clear that kind of space. So, and, and with the Wizards, it's Beal. And Beal is above above Randall on the totem pole. And would Randall really want to go there if Beal left? So from his perspective, yes, 
other things can materialize and teams can open up space. We've seen it so many times, and Jimmy Butler last time with the Heat is a great example. But are you really, really, are you really willing to roll those dice? when you have life-changing money on the table right now. Right. I think, you know, another, obviously, a difference between him and the Kawhi and Durant is those guys have already signed maxes in their careers. So, you know, not taking however much money in pursuit of, you know, a significant chunk more, but, you know, they're, they're in more position to turn down a whole lot of money to make a whole lot more money because of how much money they've already made, if sure. that makes sense. It does. Um, I, I do want to talk about quickly why I think that the Knicks think that trading for players is the way to uh, acquire stars from now on. Like, so before this season, they only had one player on the books beyond this year who had a salary between like 7 million and 20 million. And it was Julius Randle. Everybody else was on a rookie deal. And those are the, you know, the mid-sized salaries that you can sort of cobble together and they're not attached to one player. Um, those are te- typically the types of contracts that you have to send out in these deals. And they, they had one of those and now I think they have seven. Um, and just that dramatic of an increase in contracts of that size makes me think that they think that that is valuable. And I think it connects also to the way the, uh, the Rose, Burks, and Noel contracts were structured, which I have a question for you of what you think on that. So when those contracts first came out, they were reported um, as straight three-year deals. Uh, Burks specifically was reported as fully guaranteed for all three seasons. Um, then they were reported as like partially guaranteed in year three. And then yesterday it was sort of confirmed that they are team options for year three. And I'm interested in your thoughts on the difference between team options for year three that are fully guaranteed the moment they get picked up, which is what Zach Lowe reported, uh, on Thursday or partial guarantees because so basically the way I think of it is if you think that Rose Burks and Noel any or all of the three of them are going to maintain their value through two years then I think that the team option structure for that third season makes sense because it gives you the option of uh, a third offseason with which you can add them into a trade. If you don't think they're going to maintain their value and going to play at sort of, um, you know, a slight negative value on their contract, then having that be a team option instead of a partial guarantee makes it, I think, more difficult to include them in a trade that offseason because you have to pick up the whole salary in order to include them. So that I think is, is interesting. I mean, I think it's pretty likely that they're not going to maintain surplus value on much greater contracts. I wrote a story during last season about the surplus value that they got throughout the year on those three guys, Bullock and Taj Gibson. And, you know, if they just maintain the level of play they did last year and don't regress at all, the only one of them that will be on a positive value contract is Rose. And I think there are reasons to think he might be the most likely to regress just because he stayed healthy last year and he shot above expectations last year. But I think he'll be in a smaller role, which is more um, more suitable for him than what they had to have him do last season and especially in the playoffs. So maybe that does have a chance of keeping him healthier. But you know, even if he maintains the level he saw last season, it's a slight positive value 
on his new contract compared to an overwhelmingly positive value on the previous contract. And that's obviously a difference where, you know, with Noel, especially if he's the backup center as opposed to the starter, he's unlikely to return positive value. I think Burks is probably neutral. I think he's probably a $10 million player, but you have an extra season with which to throw those contracts in trades. But the question is, do you want that extra season or do you want the ability to have them non-guaranteed? Like for me, I think I would have rathered one plus ones on all of them instead of two plus ones. But if you think they're going to maintain their value, then I think the two plus one might be better because you do get that extra season. I think your points are well-founded. I think about it from a different chronological perspective, and I think it could be useful for this conversation. So I agree with you if the idea is what kind of decisions are Leon Rose and the Knicks front office making in the summer of 2023, it it would be easier if they were on a different format of contract. However, I think team options are significantly more desirable if they are looking to trade those gentlemen at or before the 2023 trade deadline, so February of 23 or earlier, and that's when I think the timeline is. I think the timeline is either next offseason or the trade deadline because there are going to be players that become available and everything else. And if you are another team, let's say theoretically the Washington Wizards, you would rather have those team options because team options, A, you can get out scot-free, and B, it is easier to retain the player should that should that be what you want to do. And a great example of this for me is George Hill. So let's say the Sixers really liked George Hill, but they didn't like George Hill at that $10 million figure that he that he had. They really only had two choices. One, like they, they could they could keep him on that number or they could waive him and maybe they bring him back incidentally. Oh God, who was that? Oh, that was Corey Joseph that the Pistons did with, the, with this year, which can happen. But generally speaking, like that is a more, it is a more challenging thing than declining a team option and just being like, hey, we can do whatever the hell we want. We don't have to worry about you clearing waivers. We don't have to pay you any money. And then they could have like, maybe maybe he would have been cool with that. Maybe I think it would have opened a different avenue of negotiation. Maybe if you decline that option, George Hill is just going to go to the Bucks like he did anyway. But also you can have those conversations with Hill, I would say under different terms, if it's a team option. So when you're looking at Rose, Noel, and Burks, there is that question of whether they're going to retain their value and whether you want that option year. And and the point about Noel, you know, not knowing exactly what his role is going to be. And I mean, he has an injury history as well. So with the team option, I think you, the, the, uh, the Knicks kind of have a different inflection point, a different decision point than other teams do. And I think that the, the, the original idea here was that it's, that having these contracts is more desirable in trades. And so I think this is the best format for them to do a trade, assuming that trade happens before the summer of 2023. Right. I think that I was thinking of it that way because I think that, you know, James Harden is an exception, obviously, but most of the recent superstar trades have happened in the offseason. Yes. Um, and now if a trade for, you know, to use the, the Knicks still as an example, if that trade were to happen next offseason, then the team option is still better. But if you get beyond next offseason, then I think it's an open question. It is an open question, and it does decrease the Knicks' capacity to to match salary kind of in that in that area for 23. 
And what's incredible about the Knicks, like when you think about their books, is that now with Randall, and then that's the year that R.J. Barrett will be on a new contract, whether it's through extension or just a new contract in restricted free agency. So the Knicks don't have a ton of flexibility. It's not like they're choosing between those guys and cap space, but things can change pretty dramatically between now and then. And something that I was thinking about in the context of the DeMar DeRozan sign and trade is that a part of what I think made that so easy for the Spurs beyond, you know, them getting value where I don't think they expected any <laughs> was that both Thaddeus Young and Alfred Camino are on now expiring contracts. And so San Antonio has a very easy calculation there. It's can we do better with that $24 million in matching salary than a first-round pick? And, you know, and the other the other stuff they got back from Chicago, which wasn't a whole heck of a lot. And I think the answer there when you looked at where the market was when that trade happened was pretty clearly no. Like, and they're, maybe they could have taken on bad salary from somebody else, but a lot of the salary desperate teams had already done their stuff. And Thaddeus Young can play. And maybe Al Farouk can. I still think there's more there. He's been dealing with injuries the last two years. But, like, Thaddeus Young is a talented basketball player who who was a key pivotal part of what the Bulls did well for a lot part, large part of last year. So yeah, Watch the Spurs get a first-round pick for him at the deadline, by the way. They, they might. And also, theoretically, let's say they do that, and a part of how the Spurs get that first-round pick is by taking on a, a multi-season salary. Well, a multi-season salary at Thaddeus Young's $15 million is a lot more palatable than taking on a multi-season salary at, like, 25 or $28 million. Like, that you can, you know, they can make that work. We, I was mentioning before that we don't know if the Spurs are going to be a, a cap space team or anything else. So from San Antonio's perspective, it's just like, yeah, we can do that. But if one of those guys was making 15 million for an extra couple of years, you might not necessarily want to do it. And so those team options, if the trade happens before summer of 2023, that gives them a lot more cost certainty, a lot more timing certainty than a partial guarantee would. That makes sense. Um, I do think it's just like the question of why I guess superstar trades have tended to happen more in the off season than during the regular season. Like I think back to like, you know, Carmelo to the Knicks happened in season, Darren Williams to the Nets happened in season. Um, but that's, you know, a while back now. Like, I don't know that we count like Vucevic as a superstar trade. Like I'm trying to think of, I, I think the Bulls do, but I don't think we do. Yeah, no, like obviously Harden happened in season this season, but that was, and you know, AD after almost he happened went on in the, strike. AD almost happened in season, but then happened in the off season. Right. Well, I mean, did it really almost happen in season? He pushed fair for point. it in season. He pushed for it. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's a, that's a, maybe a more fair way of putting it. And so I think some of it is that rosters are more flexible, more malleable during the off season. And so more roster spots, more cap space. Yeah. And, and more, you know, like more ways of thinking about, especially before the draft. That's a part of why for me, like a Ben Simmons trade not happening yet, it still can, but I think it's more difficult to happen between now and the trade deadline because Ben Simmons is a talented player, but a complicated fit. And so if, like there have been the rumors about the Warriors or yeah, Minnesota or one else. It's like if you're bringing in Ben Simmons, probably going to need other corresponding moves, you know, switching some things around. And whether that's using the mid-level exception or how you apportion minimum contracts or anything else, building around Ben Simmons is a little bit complicated. And so trying to do that in season, trying to incorporate somebody with his strengths and weaknesses, 
I think is going to lead to a challenging thing, a challenging dynamic for the team. It's, and if you're not competing right away, sure, by all means, you know, like sort of more in line with the, uh, the D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade that happened a couple of years ago. And I think so in that case, the Warriors were terrible. The Wolves were terrible. You might as well just, if you want to do it, you might as well just do it. Mm-hmm. And those though, I mean, especially if we're talking about superstar trades, Harden is, is a great example of this. Like you're trying to compete for a championship. So you better be sure that you can figure it out fast enough. If, if you're in the window right then and you think that player is widening your window. I think there's also just like another reason is just like the draft pick certainty. Like if you're trading for a player or tr- trading away a player like that in an offseason, the picks you're getting, like it's better to know what picks they are than to not know a lot of the time. Sometimes you want the uncertainty depending on who you're trading them to. But like I think there's a reason those kind of things often happen before the draft because teams – you know, like a certain prospect or a certain range of prospects, and they're like, we want to pick in that range, so that's when we're going to do it. Yeah. So I, I, th- I already brought up the Bulls. I think they're another another worthwhile place to go here. And it's so interesting. Um, Seth Partnow, Sam Vecini, and I did a collaborative piece on the Bulls. We did one on the Knicks as well. Well, I want to talk about them more too. And that piece and the Knicks piece both kind of got into this idea because each of them, or one of them, the Bulls one, we started before all of the deals were in. And it is amazing how sequencing changes the way that you think about something. And I am far from the biggest DeMar DeRozan believer in the world, and so I'm probably harder on that component of it than others will be, and arguably than I should be. That's I, I, will, I will acknowledge that should it come to pass. But... It is it, it is interesting how that changes the way you think about it because it does happen in sequence. Right, or maybe it doesn't. You know, like maybe they had that DeRozan thing done first, True. but it took a while to hammer out the final details. Like, you know, we don't we don't know for sure, but I think it's it's Ken, tempting, Kemba could, Kemba could be an example of that too. Right. Like so I, I want to talk about Kemba in a little in a little bit too in connection with the point guard market because like I think that him hitting the free agent market kind of screwed guys like, you know, Dennis Schroeder. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't expected that he would be available, obviously. And you know, I'm sure that point guard teams or point guards were targeting the Knicks as a potential team to sign with given their cap space and lack of talent at the position. Um, so I think that that from that aspect, Kemba is interesting too. But, um, with the, with the Bulls, like, it, I think it seems worse because DeRozan happened last in the public consciousness, but we don't know that it actually happened last. And, and I think for me too, it seems worse, even though I like DeRozan more than most people. And I still think it seems worse in that, in that context. To me, the biggest part of the Bulls story is defining success. And I, I am not as championship robust as some, as some people are, both in front offices, in management, and in the media. But, I personally, I don't value the first round playoff exit. Like I just, as a, as a fan, as a member of the media, you know, like whether it's the, the sports where I'm more partisan, you know, like when baseball and baseball and football or just thinking about basketball to me, the six seed and first round exit where you have a chance to win, but not a great chance to win. Like I just don't find that a super interesting place to be personally, but we've seen a few teams over the last little while, choose that. And I think there are two reasons why that happens. So one is there are teams that genuinely like that, 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 that they're like, Hey, we're, we're relevant. Like team fans can expect that we're going to have a good shot of making the postseason. Um, players aren't going to be getting, having to deal with losses all the time. Like hopefully you're 500 or better. 
And then the other one, and I think this is partially the case with the Bulls, might be with the Knicks too, is the belief that you were actually better than the way I classified them. And so, like, yeah, I do not expect the Bulls to be favorites to win a full-strength series over the three years of the DeMar DeRozan contract. And I personally don't love that. That's not the way I would want want a team to be. But I simultaneously understand and appreciate how much better that is for Bulls and Bulls fans than where they were before that. I think you can make the argument that it's better. I think the Bulls... Their main thing was just they traded for Vucevic last year to make the playoffs, and then they didn't make the playoffs, and now they just want to make the playoffs. That's sort of what it seems like to me. Like they're not they, – it doesn't seem like they have a much higher ambition than that. Like we have to make the playoffs immediately, um, and, and I don't really know how I feel about that. Yeah. I mean, like I, w- I would like it's one thing if you think you're locking yourself in as a six seed over a five to eight year period, but if it's like we're going to be the six seed this year and then we might lose the best player on the team right after that and also not have first round picks in the future, that's not appealing at all to me. And maybe they have a clear understanding of what Zach Levine wants, but basically, I I don't, and I'm guessing they knew before doing all of these moves that Zach Levine was not particularly interested in the renegotiation and extension. Also, that would have, you know, that would have severely limited what the Bulls could have done in the offseason because that takes out cap space. You can't use it for any other thing. And you'd have to clear the cap space, so then it would have made a lot of their offseason less possible. Along those lines, I mean, as the Orlando Magic, now the Magic have one Bulls pick, the Spurs have another. But like Orlando, that pick that that Chicago sent them five months ago, that was that was March 25th of this year. That pick is only top four protected in 23 and top three protected in 24. Yes, it becomes seconds if it's there, but like that's you know like even even if you're the worst team in the league, then like it's hard to be sure that that pick's going to convey both times. As Orlando, I my instinct is I would actually be feeling better about that pick now than I was before just because now you know, and, and part of it is just we know a piece of information that we had wondered before, which is that Zach Levine basically cannot make a commitment to the Bulls before next offseason, so he's going to hit the open market. Yeah, I think also, like, if you are Orlando, I think you have more certainty about what range that pick is going to fall in most likely now sure. than you did before, just because it's it's unlikely that the Bulls are going to be able to upgrade their team any more than they have. Um, so I think you're dealing with, you know, a downside of, like, the, I don't know, the low 20s. Yeah, like 22, 23. Right. So, you know— it's, I think it's sort of the inverse of the, um, so the Knicks traded their 19th pick on draft day to the Hornets for a pick that no matter what can't be higher than 15th. Um, so it's like you have certainty about where the pick will be, but it's not good. It's, it's not the good kind of certainty because it's not going to be a desirable pick. Sure. Whereas it's not going to be this Bulls pick. Most likely it's not as certain as that that Charlotte pick coming to New York, but most likely it's not going to be like a first that's so deep it might as well be a second. Well, it's a part of what challenges me with the Bulls, and it's the end, defining success, is, okay, how could I be wrong? How can how can this team defy expectations? And their offense could be really good. I mean, they have DeRozan was an underappreciated creator last year, pick and roll. Otherwise, San Antonio needed it desperately. He delivered, despite having 
the limitations that we've all harped on for years. He was a very productive, very important offensive player last year. And that takes, you know, it'll be somewhat challenging to make the fit work, but that makes life easier to some extent on Lonzo, on, well, especially Lonzo because the half-court stuff, uh, Levine and, and, and Vooch. And, and their lives will make, their their skills will make DeRozan's life easier. So, like, yeah, I think they could have a very good offense. I don't think top three. Like, I don't think it's one of those, like, they're going to be the new Blazers or Nets where they're just tearing tearing everything apart. But top ten, maybe even top five, plausible. The challenge is, okay, how can I be wrong defensively? And yes, shooting, shooting related stuff is, is, a, is a clear part of that. I mean, we've, we've seen that at various moments in time, but I don't see a way, a way that outside of like shooting luck, that they are a top 12 defense, probably a top half defense. And so let's say we go on the optimistic side and they're the third best offense and they're like the 16th best defense. That's a good team. It's a totally respectable team. That that team may even host a playoff series. I wouldn't expect it, but they might. It's just not what I would be going full bore for, and not only spending all my cap space, but giving up two first-round picks. And I think that that's probably the ceiling. Like, that's not yes. the baseline expectation. Sure. Oh, like, oh, yeah. This is not EV. This is, like, reasonable best-case scenario. Right. Like, the Nets next year, that would be, like, the, you know, 45th or 50th percentile outcome for the regular season is, like, the third-best offense and the 16th-best defense, right? Like, I mean, I would expect they will have the first best offense, but third is within the realm of possibility. Yeah, and so if we went, so I'm trying to figure out the the closest team to that kind of a split last year. I mean, Brooklyn was first and 21st, but they were, um, so the Clippers were fourth and ninth, and they were second in differential, but fourth and ninth is meaningfully different. Um, so actually, one way to do this is, so it was uh, the third offense last year was the Jazz at a 118.8. And then, and I just wrote 188, so that's wrong. And the number 16 defense was 113.2. So theoretically, were they to hit those lines, which I was not directly tying to, that reasonable best case scenario would be roughly a plus 5.6 differential, which would be fifth in the league last year. So like, yeah, that would, that would be really good, but that's not what we're expecting. Yeah, um, I, I would also, I think, be pretty surprised if that was even the best case scenario. It's like the best case scenario seems lower than that to me. Yeah, that seems, I, I would agree with that. But, you know, if your ambitions are, we have to make the playoffs this year. Um, DeRozan makes I that think, more likely, to be sure. Yeah, I think they're closer than they were before. I don't know that they're, like, definitely one of the six best teams in the East. You know, like, they could very well still be a play-in team. Yeah. They, they could be, and I mean, that's, you know, like we kind of try to couch things in equal health, and it could absolutely not be. And when you are when you are tying your own success to where you line up, deserve doesn't have anything to do with it. You know, it's like if, if you're less healthy and you don't get there, then I don't know that that makes anybody feel much better, especially Zach Levine. Yeah. Um, so let, let's I was go, much let's, more enthused oh. when it was just Lonzo and Caruso, and they were, still had a little bit more flexibility. Which is so funny because Chicago didn't have a didn't have a small forward. I mean, they were probably going to play Patrick Williams there and play him alongside Thad Young, and Thaddeus Young's place within the rotation seems a lot weirder once they got Vooch, just because you weren't going to have the ball in his hands as much. But they could have. I think they could have done something else for that. I mean, they could also use the the mid level exception. They're not that Kelly Oubre is perfect, but that's roughly the kind of money that he is reportedly getting from the Charlotte Hornets and, you know, and, and Chicago, I think Chicago would have had a clear opportunity for playing time for him if that was something that he was interested in. And, but again, like DeRozan, he does make them better and he make you know, he's, and, and DeRozan, 
I've brought this up a lot in the context of Ben Simmons. His flaws are more of a postseason problem than a regular season problem. And so if you're focused more on the regular season, then they're smaller problems than if you are a playoff team. So DeRozan is more valuable, relatively speaking, to a team like the Bulls than he is to a team like the Nets. I would agree with that. Um, what, do, what do you make of this marketing situation, by the way? Like, it, it seems like, you know, the Bulls, I don't think they have enough defensively. You mentioned that already. Is there anywhere that they can sign and trade him that brings back a piece that helps them on defense? I, I've been trying to think about that for the last day or so. Not a great one. I mean, I, I think what what's interesting is there are, there are places that could bring in Markkanen, but I don't know that any of them like because because that like bring him into let's say space so like or a trade exception. So then you're creating a trade exception as the Bulls. So that would be an option. But then the one of the biggest challenges of using a trade exception in most circumstances is that the other team has to want to trade that player. You can't use it to sign somebody. Mm-hmm. So could they get the triumphant return of Chris Dunn with that trade exception? Yeah, probably. I mean, especially if Boston ends up getting in the Schroeder mix. I don't know. If you have Caruso, what do you need Dunn oh, for? Oh, yeah, exactly. But that's what we kind of where it was going to go. Is they, want it, they want a forward defender. Yeah. Incidentally, I mean, they wouldn't want that. He's young, but they want somebody, you know, forward-sized who had a little bit of a different skill set. And those guys, let's say market in, let's say he gets $10 million a year. Those guys are not easy to, to pry for that kind of a price. Yeah, and I'm like I'm trying to think of a just a fit for marketing on the market right right now, and I'm not sure there's like a great one. Like, what's his best fit? You know, it's got to be with a team that has a good defender at center, but that also is going to be okay giving marketing like a decent size usage because otherwise he's just kind of standing around, and you need to have guys capable of creating shots for him. Like maybe Dal- Dallas a second unit. They have a trade exception. Yeah, but do they want to dump him for nothing? Exactly. Like, you know, you could say to Dallas, give us Dorian Finney-Smith. That'd be great. But Dallas isn't going to do that. I was thinking about Cleveland, but... Yeah, but they're not going to want him instead of Larry Nance, though, right? No, 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 no. And they and they don't have the, you know, we were talking about the Knicks. They, the, the, the Cavs don't really have those filler salaries. They have guys that are good values on those contracts, and they have guys that are bad values on that contract. Shout out Jetty Osmond. Yeah, and like I don't think Chetty Osman would solve the issue we're talking about here for Chicago. No, know? So. I don't. I don't think that he would either. Yeah. And like uh, I don't think that Houston has. Like, I think Houston could use like Markkinen would be a fun guy for them to add to the rotation, depending on what position they see like Usman Garuba and Schengen playing. But I don't think they need him. Yeah, he's also just. I mean, he's and, now. But they don't have. They don't have like year. What, he's got to be like six or seven years older than those guys at this point. Right, like it's it's not like Houston's competing anytime soon. Right. Um, although you know what, just go to the Pistons. They always want big guys on weird size contracts. Memphis doesn't really have the guy to send back. They, I, I think Memphis could. Markkinen would add a wrinkle to them, um, but I don't think there's the right kind of corresponding. Yeah, it, it's tough and and restricted free agency because at a certain to a certain extent, Chicago can just say, "Hey, we're gonna do right. We you know we're gonna do what's best for ourselves. If you if you want a long term contract, then go get it, and we'll decide what we want." But I mean, I don't think that him coming back for the for the like kind of the qualifying offer is the worst thing in the world for the Bulls, even though they can't like trade him and do some of the other stuff. I'm just trying to look at some of these teams like. I don't think Toronto really would want a player like that. Um, like the Bucks have Bobby Portis for less money. Um, the Sixers got Niang for less money. I mean, like if Minnesota is something involving Tory and Prince. Oh right, he's there now. He I is. He's not selling Cleveland because um, like they need they need forwards, and I mean maybe they like Markkinen better than Prince. Prince like is the an Warriors expert. just got Bielitsa. Yep. Um, 
I don't know, do the Kings need a player like that? The Kings need a small forward more than yeah, they need. They, 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 like, they, they kind of need what the Bo Bulls Marcus, need. So they're not going to trade him. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's tough for Markkanen. I mean, and, and especially now that in all likelihood the um, the Hornets are out of play because they um, – maybe they could make something work. I, I don't know how they're str- – How about I mean, the Blazers for Derek Jones? Hmm, that's an interesting – I think that's the best one so far. It makes a degree of sense. Um, Portland's not going to be good at defense anyway. Like, well, and he's he's more he he's something that they don't really have, which I think is intriguing. And maybe Chauncey Billups is going to see Derek Jones Jr. differently than um, Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts did. I mean, hopefully, I I thought he was underutilized last year. <sighs> he didn't shoot enough when he was in the starting lineup, I yeah, don't think. That's fair. A- and I think that it made sense at that point to pull him just because they weren't getting what they needed mm-hmm. out of him. Um, you know, he's not going to start this year, uh, you know, pending a CJ McCollum trade, which I don't think is coming. Dame, CJ Powell, Covington, and Nurkic are going to start. Um, but, you know, they, they don't like, I guess Mello was like they're shooting big and he just left. So they don't really have a player who fits that archetype. You know, they brought in Snell, Zeller. It's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be Cody Zeller pick and pops, baby. Right. Um, but Zeller's not obviously the shooter that Markinen is. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'd probably rather have Derek Jones for like one year and whatever it is, nine something million than Markinen at, you know, three or four years on that type of salary. But if they want something different, you know, they do have Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who is like a Derrick Jones type, sort of. Well, and then a practical consideration for a lot of these teams, potentially including Portland, is that acquiring a player via sign-and-trade hard caps you. And some teams don't care about the hard cap. Maybe you're not going to spend that much money. Maybe you're going to do something else. But, like, for example, Philadelphia, would they might have been willing to hard cap themselves for certain players, but I don't think they are for somebody like Lowry Markkinen because that limits the flexibility in terms of uh, Ben Simmons trade and numerous other things. Yep. I'm, I'm remembering back to when the Clippers hard capped themselves to get Spencer Hawes and Lance Stevenson and had to attach a first-round pick to get rid of Jared Dudley who was out of the rotation because Doc had made him play hurt and not let him get surgery. And then Dudley outplayed both Hawes and Stevenson, who were out of the rotation by midseason. Um, so, yeah, hard capping yourself for players who are not worth hard capping yourself for, not a good idea. Yeah, I, I am in, in firm, firm agreement there. Uh, anything else from what's happened this week that really, really stuck out to you, like a, a great value signing from a team perspective or player you're really happy got paid, something like that? Um, I'm trying to think. I, I, have, I have one uh, while you think. I'm yeah, really happy ahead. for David Nwaba that, that he got – that caught, that he got five years, or sorry, three years, five million a year. We don't know how guaranteed it is, but he's battled through stuff. He's had a really kind of tough go of it. I've always liked how hard he competes on defense. So for him to get that from the Rockets, I was very happy for him. Uh, I agree. That's, and I think he's been a solid enough player that you can justify a multi-year investment in him. I, I want to take one where I have probably been the most vocal opponent of this guy over the years. And I gotta, you know, throw him a shout out because the last couple of years he's just been legit good in the role that he plays now, which is much different than the role that he used to play, which is why I said that he wasn't good before. Jeff Green to the Jazz on his one year deal, uh, or not the Jazz. Did the uh, Nuggets. He signed with the Nuggets nuggets. on a one plus one. Yeah. That is a great move for a backup center. Um, I think that makes so much sense for them and it'll be a good fit with Jamichael Green on the second unit. 
he has been so much better as a center than he ever was as a wing because his whole thing as a wing was, well, he can, it was like, oh, well, he can guard the three or the four and he can shoot threes, but he couldn't guard threes or fours. And at the time, he couldn't really shoot threes. Now he's a sort of a four slash five. He can guard fives. Those guys aren't quicker than him, and he's strong enough to handle a lot of guys. And he's become a better shooter, so he can space them out, and the spacing actually works now. So it's like a total 180 for me from where I was on Jeff Green before. Shout out to him. Good signing for the Nuggets. And I like the Nuggets having different concepts of centers behind Jokic to have, you know, I think they'll give Zeke Naji some of that opportunity. They still have Jermichael Green. They can go with, and, and, and I mean, maybe Bull Bulls in the rotation. We'll have to see. I don't think so, but maybe. And so the last, we're all into kind of tying some things together are two guys that I thought were going to get really squeezed by the market and ended up not. And that would be Daniel Tice and Evan Fournier. So Tice with the Bulls kind of going in a different direction with the DeRozan trade and everything else. And him being kind of nobody's first choice. I was worried that he – and I've liked Daniel Tice for a while now. I think that he's you know a low-end starter but a potential starting caliber player. And to, for him to get roughly mid-level exception money for four years is, is really exciting. And then for Fournier, it you could kind of see where the market was going and that potentially he could be the odd – shooting guard out and he was not the odd shooting guard out the Knicks gave him a bunch of money even if that final year is the team option yeah I think you know Fournier it's I like him as a player but I also think he's more of a 82 game player than a 16 game player to to power to borrow Draymond Green's term um I guess more like a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser Mm -hmm. like he's not been very good in the playoffs he gets picked on defensively, especially in the playoffs, and the Knicks now have you know two targets in the backcourt for opposing defenses to pick on, or sorry, opposing offenses to pick on. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out, just given that their strength obviously was defense last year. Well, I have but, I have good news for you and for our mutual friend Seth Bartno. After three consecutive playoffs, posting a true shooting percentage below fifty percent, Evan Fournier a blistering fifty six percent in Boston's five playoff games last year. Wow, what See? was the tr- what was the true shooting of the players that he guarded? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say roughly a thousand. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I think that there's something to. Be I, I'm said not. Dis- for... I'm not disagreeing with you, by the way. I just I wanted to look that up because Seth has used that stat a bunch, and I'm I'm very pleased. And also, this was basically the same amount of minutes that Fournier has played in any other postseason because he's never been in a postseason playing more than five games. Right. He like he's a good player. He's a, a more well-rounded offensive player than Bullock, which I think that the Knicks definitely needed. You saw how their offense cratered in the first round against the Hawks last year when Rose got too tired because he was playing like 35 minutes and can't really do that anymore. And then it was just Julius Randle against everybody. You know, they needed more guys that could create off the dribble. And Fournier, he's not an elite off the dribble creator, but he's a lot better at it than Bullock, who's basically either a standstill or sprint into a shot shooter and is not really going to put the ball on the ground. Um So I do think he made sense as sort of a fit for what they were were looking for. And, and I don't think like – the, sh- the shooting guard market, I think, thinned out kind of quickly because guys re-signed, you know, like Norm Powell re-signed, Gary Trent re-signed. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who else was like potentially out there. And, and some of the guys after that were like lower end options, like, you know, Bullock and Sterling Brown and, um, why am I? Oh, and uh, Duncan Robinson resigned too. By the way, like yes, there were not a ton of other options out there, and there were, I think, 
teams that needed players. And Will Barton resigned. I forgot to mention him. Um, Danny Green ended up resigning. But you know, there were teams that needed a player at that spot. Um, so yeah, it, it worked out for him still. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, anything else you want to discuss? Or are we are we ready to roll? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there was anything else like particularly notable that i'm forgetting oh the you know the the jazz did do the same thing as the nuggets getting like a small ball center as their backup center mm-hmm. with uh with rudy gay i yes. think that that makes much more sense for them too well and getting and, and having Hassan Whiteside is another option you know Whiteside doesn't fit everywhere but he fits reasonably well in what utah wants to do so having having an option to go one direction and having one to go another direction fully on board. right and um i can't believe nobody gave rashawn holmes more money than the kings did yeah thank you for going there i mean rashawn holmes spencer dinwiddie a couple there are a couple other guys where it's just like okay you I mean, are dinwiddie at least got you know 21 million a year sure. on his on his contract we'll, like, we'll see how much the partial guarantee is but yeah dinwiddie but yeah i mean rashawn holmes he's a good player like for example like what charlotte did is like if you could if i had to choose between mason plumley mason plumley Ke- uh, kelly Oubre, and and then Moving Rashawn, Holmes, Rashawn Holmes and room exception. I mean, that's a pretty easy choice for me. Right. Like, I, I, I don't care that much about moving up 20 picks in the second round to uh, to, to take Plumlee instead of Holmes. Yeah. Like, I think that would have been a much better move for them as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time. We'll always love talking to you. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Jared Dubin for taking the time to come on. You can check out his work at 538 and many other places on the internet, and that is why it's so good to follow him on Twitter at J-A-D-U-B-I-N and then the number five, because it's all over. Also has an authory page, which you can check out there. And love having him on to kind of get some big picture, some small picture things on this particularly interesting off season. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. That really does help. And it's particularly good for Real GM Radio because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. It's my time. It's my guest time. All that fun stuff. Also, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player you're choosing, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Really do appreciate it. It helps other people find the show just like word of mouth does, which we appreciate as well. Also, you can check out my other work. I have a bunch of pieces at The Athletic recently, did some collaborative work with Sam Vecini and Seth Partnow, and then did a lot of other stuff as well with various writers. Really enjoy those collaborative pieces, some previewing the uh, offseason and some analyzing the offseason, which is a standard split for this time of year. Also, of course, going strong with Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. We were, you know, rocking and rolling for long episodes basically every day in the early part of the offseason. I think it's something that Nate and I do particularly well like to think so and no more games so we're not doing any live shows or anything like that but hopefully that will be back in some form for next year you can check out check that out i believe the sale for junked on prime total access is still going on now i think you don't have much time so if you're not in yet it's a great time to do it it's cheaper now and you get more perks than any other time in the year so i highly recommend subscribing and we are doing the deal again with the athletic which is very exciting especially as somebody who works for the athletic and writes for the athletic not totally sure on the timing next week i'm betting it'll be late in the week but that's why you subscribe is because you can see it whenever it pops in that would be my inclination Still figuring out exactly what the battle plan is going to be for the offseason. I'm leaning towards doing division previews again. I like that format. I think that it's good for this podcast, but we'll see, and it'll depend on availability, of course, as well. So keep an eye on that. 
And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. And I'm not great at replying. I try to be better, um, but I will read it. That is that is my promise. That is what I do. So that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thank you.